Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, y'all. Um, what a great day it has already been. I mean, it is a heartwarming thing to see moms and dads take a serious commitment and a serious stand to raise their children under the umbrella of Christ in a world that is bombarding them constantly with the total opposite of that. So just know the devil is out there, and he's after you, and he's after your kids. He wants to eat your kids. He wants to eat Hazel, right? And it is a, I know that sounds crazy, but the reality is he's prowling around trying to destroy everything that God is and wants. And it is up to mom and dad and all of us to stand in the gap of that. That's a serious thing, y'all. It really is. It's a serious thing, and we, we ought to look at it that way. Now, um, my name's Ed Griffinag. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail, and I'm thankful that you're here watching or here physically or watching or listening on a podcast, however that's kind of played itself out. Um, you know, we have tended to be a church as we preach through Scripture. We're walking through books of the Bible, really verse by verse, uh, of walking through a book of the Bible, whatever book that may be. And we've been in the book of Acts for several months, but we also reserve this right to step aside, step outside of that from time to time. And if there's something going on in the world where we need to address a topic, then we can do that. And we're, we're in the third week of doing just that. We stepped out of Acts chapter 10, I think, and we're, we're walking through um, a six-week series called uh, From the Ashes where we're, we're looking at different aspects, different character traits, different things about Christ. Each week we're doing that leading up, uh, leading up to Easter, and hopefully we're going to get a glimpse each week, we're going to get a glimpse of the abundant life that is offered uh, in the redemption that is found in, in Christ. And we've looked, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, the, at, at Jesus' temptation. We call it his temptation. It's in Matthew chapter 4. As the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert right after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert, and he, he didn't eat or drink for 40 days and nights, and, and the devil tempted him. And I hope that we were encouraged by the manner in which he, he fended off and defended himself with Scripture against those temptations. And then last week we looked at the incredible his, his incredible humility in John 13 as he washes his disciples' feet, and I hope that we have begun to be and will continue to be encouraged by his example. Because if we can't be encouraged by, by, the, by the Lord, if we can't be encouraged by the example that, that Jesus offers us, something's wrong. And so I want us to get our arms around, at least begin to get our arms around the life that he offers us. This week, we're going to take a a glimpse, take a look at, at I think one of his most powerful habits, and that's prayer, and it's uh, contemplative prayer, being still and being quiet with his father. I would imagine that there's not a person in here today, not anybody sitting at home on their couch watching, listening to this message, probably none of us that that don't wish that we had a more devoted, a more powerful, a more purposeful prayer life? I know, I know that I do. 
I know that my prayer life personally could be infinitely greater than it is. And I think probably we all are kind of like that. I know that we all share this major issue, and that is the, the busy, the crazy, probably busy pace of life and the, the constant stimulation that, is, that is, a, is a battle that we all battle with. We're constantly being bombarded with things, and I think that, that the busyness of life and the, 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 the constant, usually digital stimulation, it can block and it can impede our ability to just slow down. To just slow down, like this busyness of, in this busyness of life, it's just so easy that we neglect the source of the very life that we have. I bet this is true if we're honest with ourselves that it, it almost just simply feels awkward to be still. Just to be still and, 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 and just to be quiet. I want to try something with y'all, and I really do want everybody to participate. I want you to stand up. Everybody stand up. If you're at home, I want you to stand up. I want you to close your eyes. You too, baby. You can stand up. <laughs> That's my rebellious wife. Um, I want you to close your eyes, and I, then I want you to sit down. I really do want you to close your eyes. But I want you to sit down when you think a minute has passed. Start right now. All right, open your eyes and look. A bunch of you just, just sat down when I said that. You see how, you can sit down now, but you see how many people. It is so hard, y'all, for us to simply be focused enough in stillness to just correctly judge time. Truth be known, it's hard enough probably for us just to be still for a minute. Did that not feel like a half an hour? Like, Awkward. That was awkward. Trip's probably back there thinking, oh my gosh, we have one minute of total silence, you know, going out on a video stream. But it felt like a half an hour. We struggle with that. And on some sort of a level, that, that exercise, it highlights the challenge of stillness. It highlights the challenge of contemplation. It highlights the, really the, the challenge of prayer just in general. And specifically that we are very uncomfortable with being still and being silent. Our lives are so loud. Our lives are so busy. Our lives are so frantic that most of us have gotten very used to the noise. And we almost, we almost feel out of place when the noise is not there. 
Y'all, but God's Word says otherwise. It totally says otherwise. God's Word says that there's another way. God's Word says there's a more fulfilling way. And I want us to look at several principles that I think we can put into action, several principles that, uh, that we can extract from, from Christ's life and from the pages of Scripture that I want to share with you all today. Now, before we jump into it, I want to draw your attention to a word that I've used a couple of times already, and it's a word that very well may not be part of your vocabulary. It surely is not really part of mine, and that word is contemplation. And I've used also, I've used that, I've used that term by saying contemplative prayer. And I'm using that to describe a peaceful, silent, calm place of prayer in the life of a believer. When I think about that, I immediately think about the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, verse 35. And here's what this verse says. It says, In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, he departed and went out to a desolate place. The New King James says a, very, says a solitary place. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So Jesus gets up super early in the morning. Well, how do we know that? Because the Bible says it's dark outside. So it's super early in the morning, and he goes off to be alone, to be alone in prayer. Well, did he just go sit in silence? I don't know. Did, did, he, did, he, did he sit down and did he sing? Did he bring a laundry list of stuff that he needed for his dad to do? Did he pray through his favorite psalms? Like, I don't know. Really, I don't know what he did. The Bible doesn't really tell us what he did. It says that he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. But when I think about contemplation, when I think about stillness, when I, when I think about silence, and when I think about, for me, when I think about connecting with my heavenly Father, I think about that verse, Mark 1.35. And it stirs up my heart and it stirs up my mind to get alone, to get in a desolate place, to get in a solitary place and get alone with my heavenly father. John MacArthur, a writer, pastor, writer guy, he wrote a book called Alone with God and he said this. He said, we're not heard for our many words but for the cry of our hearts. When you and I genuinely pray, authentically pray, the real condition of our heart is revealed to God and he can begin to do a work in us because he wants to see our hearts. Prayer is this most amazing tool in our arsenal that we've been given to connect with him. You think about this as a believer. You and I are invited to speak on a regular basis in a very personal way with the creator of the universe. Let that little tidbit sink in. Like it's, it's an amazing thought. Me and you get to talk with the guy that put every star in place. And some of you probably sit there and think, I did. I never said a prayer until I was 37 years old. So I said this all the time. Like I have no idea what to say. I don't even know where to start. And it, it just seems weird to do that. Yada, 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 whatever that is. Well, John MacArthur goes on in that book, Alone with God. He says, if you're ever to know power and passion in your prayer life, you need to pray with a devout heart, with a pure motive seeking only the glory of God. You also need to pray with a humble heart, seeking only the attention of God, not of men. He says, God's purpose in prayer is not for us to inform or persuade 
God to respond to our needs, but to open up sincere and continual lines of communication with him. He says prayer, more than anything else, is sharing the needs, the burdens, and the hungers of our heart with a God who cares. This is a God who cares, right? He says he wants to hear us and commune with us more than we could ever want to commune with him because his love for us is so much greater than our love for him. His love for us is so much greater than our love for him. I want to give you just just a few principles that I think are going to help us to develop a, a more fulfilling, a more devoted, a more effective life of prayer and stillness. And I believe that it starts with the right posture. I think it starts with the right posture. Well, what's the right posture? Standing or sitting or kneeling or laying down? It's none of that, y'all. I ain't talking about your, 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 your body position. I'm not. Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 edition of Webster's Dictionary, says that posture is the state or the condition of an object, particularly the state or condition with regard to something else. An attitude or approach in relation to something or someone else. There's a little sentence, and this sentence was in this Webster's 1828 uh, edition of the dictionary, and it, and it used this sentence to describe what posture is. And the sentence said, because of the imminent attack, the fort is in a position, is in a posture of defense. It's in a posture of defense. Y'all, there's a passage in the gospel according to Luke. It's exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about posture. That is all, all of this begins with me and you having the right posture. And it's in chapter 18 uh, of Luke, starting in verse 9. And the Bible says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He told this parable, and here we go. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you've got to remember who these two, two men are. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. Pharisee is the holy, rollingest guy. Everybody looks at them, says they're so righteous. They know they can quote the whole Bible. They can recite the, the Pentateuch from, from Genesis to Deuteronomy just right out of their mind. They're the holy men. Man, they walking around and quoting this and that. And the tax collector the most hated guy in the land. The Jews hated them beyond all hate because they're traitors. They're scum. That's what the other folks would say. So you got the Pharisee, the tax collector. And what does it say? It says those two of them went up to the temple to pray. Verse 11 says the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. He said, God, you can almost see him. He's like, man, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this here tax collector. He said, I fast twice a week when the biblical demand is once a year. I do it twice a week. He said, and you know what? I give tithes of all that I get. Every nickel crosses my hand. I give a tithe. I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm giving the way that I ought to give. And I can quote the scripture. Verse 13 says, but the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift his, up his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast. And in that culture in that day, doing that was a sign of grief, extreme grief and sorrow. So he's beating, he stood far away, he's beating his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, why is he beating his breast? 
because he's a sinner. He's beating his breast because he knows who he is. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. An entirely different kind of prayer came from the lips of this tax collector. It was a prayer of humility, of dependence, of desperation. The Pharisee prayed and justified himself before God. The tax collector looked to the floor, but he raised his voice up to heaven. The Pharisee was proud and he was confident. The tax collector grieved over the sinful condition of his heart. The Pharisee described his, think about this, the Pharisee describes his righteousness for God and everybody else to hear. His was like this self-congratulatory speech, like he's, you know, back there patting himself on his back. The tax collector begged for mercy to escape the judgment that he knew his sin deserved. He's just begging the Lord for mercy. The tax collector was super self-aware. He knew where he stood before a holy God. He had the right posture. He was a lost sinner. In that moment, he was a lost sinner. In that moment, he had that right posture to come to the Lord in prayer. But the very next moment, the Bible says that he went home justified. He went home saved. He cried out in prayer. He cried out in dependence. He cried out in desperation as a lost sinner, but he went home as a saved sinner. And I'm sure that at some point along those lines, he began to be able to look up. Remember, in verses 10 or 11, said that he, he wouldn't even raise his eyes up. One real-world way to get our head, to get our heart right when we approach the Lord in prayer to get yourself focused, focused on Him. And it's weird I'm going to say this, y'all, but we see it in the Eastern Orthodox Christian, Christian tradition. And they call it the Jesus Prayer. And they continually repeat, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then that kind of moves to the background and their attention becomes laser-focused on the Lord. And I personally have kind of started doing that. But you know what? i got to make sure that those words don't just become some vain repetition that I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. But what it does for me when I say that is it gets my head in the right place because it lets me know that I'm lowly in heart. Right? It lets me know. It puts me in the right posture. It lets me know my place in the pecking order. Lord, have mercy on me a sinner. And then when I'm quiet and when I'm still and when I'm alone with God, and you know, I don't even like think in churchy language. I don't pray in King James language. Now, I'm not hating on the King James translation. I'm not. It's just not the way that I talk. You know, I share my hurts with the Lord. I share my sorrows with the Lord. I share my joys with the Lord and I plead with him to give me wisdom and to give me the discernment to line up my will with his will not to line up his will with my will I pray Lord let me want what you want let me love what you love so number one is this posture thing y'all have the right posture have the right attitude come to him with the right Attitude. 
Number one. Number two is lift your eyes up. Lift your eyes up. Psalm 121 at the very beginning says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Well, who's that? The Lord, the one that made heaven and earth, the one that spoke everything into existence, the one who spoke everything into existence out of nothingness. Our brains can't even understand what nothing means, but nothing means there was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was something. Well, how did that happen? God spoke, and poof, nothing, something. That's the one that I'm lifting my eyes up to. Wow. That principle there is that I believe there are several times each and every day when we need to just stop what we're doing and we need to look up. And it is so, so easy to get so, so focused on the very thing that's just right in front of us. The thing that urgently kind of needs to be, at least you think, kind of needs to be taken care of. The thing that's in front of us or the thing that's just consuming all of our attention. And we forget about this intimate, this personal relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. We can forget about his compassionate care over every detail of our lives. Not just that he created everything, not just that he breathed life into you, but he cares about you. Looking up causes this perspective change. It causes us to focus on something else. Maybe better said, it causes us to focus on someone else. I had this moment, and I think it's about 15 years ago. We were on an RV trip uh, in Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana, and it was awesome. It was awesome trip, and and it was really, really late at night, or maybe really, really early in the morning. I don't know, two or three o'clock in the morning, and we were several, several hours from any evidence whatsoever of civilization. I didn't even know that there was that much land that was undeveloped and. And, and I'm going to say uninhabited, that may not necessarily be true, but there was no neighborhoods, there was no development, there was no subdivision, there was no buildings, there was no nothing, there was no ambient light anywhere. And we stopped, and I don't even really remember where we, why we stopped, probably because I was lost or something, I don't know. But we stopped, and I got out, and I looked up, and dude, I cannot even begin to explain the way the sky looked. Like it was, oh my goodness, it was like the sky was incredible. It seemed like this, this huge black canvas that God painted with millions and millions of just little specks of light. It was almost like there was more specks of light than there was black. And I remember sitting there thinking, he hung every single one of those exactly in the spot that he wanted to hang it. Like I was overwhelmed with the way this, have any of y'all ever seen that out in the, it is overwhelming, is it not? Amen. Overwhelming. And it makes me think of Louis Giglio's words. If you've ever seen this video called Indescribable, and if you have never seen it, you need to see it. Giglio, it's, it's, it's from a passion conference that he did. <coughs> and, he, and here's what he said, and he's showing all these images from the Hubble Space Telescope and all the galaxies and all this stuff, and he's showing all that. And he says, and Giglio says this, he says, the psalmist got it right when he said, and he quotes Psalm 8. He says, when I look at your, at, the, at your heavens, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? He said, we, man, are significantly small, but it is significant insignificance because as tiny as we are, 
We are known and prized by majesty who sent for us and who loves us and who knows us even though we are teeny tiny little bitty people on a little bitty speck floating through the vast cosmos that he has made. Think about that. We are teeny tiny little bitty people on a teeny little speck floating through space. And he loves you more than you could ever in a million years love him. And he cares about you. He cares about where every hair on your head is or, or isn't. But he, he, he cares about that. He cares about you. And so as you stop what you're doing, hopefully, and you look up to God, you're reminded that he cares for you. It is amazing. I find that reality to be one of the most comforting things ever. I'm going to give you a couple ideas, practical maybe, kind of ideas that you can do to practice this idea of looking up. If you're feeling anxious, raise your hand if you felt anxious in the last week. Or if you're feeling stressed. Or if you need a little space to process a difficult situation, just go take a walk. Alone, go take a walk. Get out, get up, get moving. And look up. Don't look up while you're walking. You're walking to a tree. But get up and get out. And, 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 and when you stop walking for a minute, look up. But as you're walking, just, I, I can't tell you what to say. I just get out and I'm walking and I'm just like, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm struggling with finances. I'm struggling with something down at work, whatever it is. You know, Lord, help me to keep my eyes fixed and focused on you. Lord, I'm begging you to just, to just get in the middle of it, Lord, and just do the thing that you do. Y'all, invite him into your deal. He wants to get in the middle of your deal. And he wants to put his arm around you. He wants you to crawl up and sit in his lap. And, he, and, he, and he's your heavenly father. And he puts his arm around you. And he says, just let me help you. Number one. Number two is this. Schedule a time every day to just stop what you're doing. Put away the distractions. And just sit in silent prayer. Five minutes. Whatever it is. Put it on your calendar. Put a little alarm in your phone to remind you to hold yourself accountable. And those are just my ideas, and they may sound silly. For you, your quiet time, peaceful place of prayer may look different. I'm sure it probably will, but who cares? Are there spaces in your life where, where you regularly get yourself refocused? If not, there ought to be. Is there somebody in your life that can help hold you accountable to doing that? Is there somebody that can help to keep you looking up? So look up. Third thing is this. Practice stillness. It's a lost art, man. Practice stillness. Committing to regular times of, of stillness and of quiet are incredibly powerful for your overall health. Your physical health, your emotional health, your psychological health, and of course, your spiritual health. In your walk with Christ. Regular times of stillness and of calm and of quiet. Those are incredibly powerful moments. They're powerful, powerful moments.
Raise your hand if you consider yourself that you live a busy life. Every one of us probably ridiculously busy, full lives with very little margin built in. Well, stillness and, and, and quiet and calm. I love Psalm 46. Psalm 46 begins with this description of this this El Shaddai, this powerful God. And he starts out, the psalmist, describing this God who is our refuge and he's our strength and he's a present help in times of trouble. He says that God's very voice could melt the earth. Ginormous God that he's describing. And, and he says he's the Lord of hosts, that the Lord of hosts is with us and the Lord of hosts is our fortress and he's our rock. And he says, oh my gosh, look at, at his mighty, mighty works. He says he can bring about destruction and he can end wars with the snap of his finger. He says he can break the bow and he can snap a spear and he can burn up a shield in an instant. And he's described this mighty, awesome, incredible, huge, powerful God. And then right in the middle of that description, he says, be still and know that I am God. Think about that. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Like, what is it about the stillness and silence that helps us to, to inch ever closer to the Lord? Why is it that stillness feels so sacred? You know, why do, does our soul feel so at peace with God in the quiet? I want you to look at Elijah, Prophet Elijah's encounter with God in 1 Kings in chapter 19, give you just a skosh of context in late in 18 and early in, in 19. Um, folks are after Elijah. They're coming after him. And he's in a cave and he's hiding in this cave. And verse 11 of chapter 19, God said, and he's talking to Elijah, he says, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. How awesome would it be that God says, go out there, and then he passes by. Well, that's what Scripture says. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into, in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. It says, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, it was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard the low whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak, in other words, he put his jacket over his head. And he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord wasn't in the fire, but he was there. He was there. He was there in the gentle whisper. Y'all, expect him to be there. If you are a believer, expect him to be there. Count on him being there. You know why? Because he will be. Promise after promise after promise in Scripture. Expect it. Don't not expect it. Don't be surprised when he shows up. Right? Expect it. The Lord was there, and he was there in the quiet, and he was there in the gentle whisper. And we got to be quiet in the chaos to hear him. We got to be still in the turmoil to hear him. 
we got to be in tune. We got to be in tune. You got to be a follower to be able to tune to the right station. But me and you got to be in tune to hear him. Don't miss his voice. Heard a story about a Native American guy, and he's walking down the street with a banker in downtown wherever. And the Native American guy said, stopped, and he said, listen. Said to the banker, he said, listen. Banker said, for what? He said, can't you hear it? Well, hear what? And he said, the crickets. The crickets. The banker said, I don't hear no crickets. Like, what are you talking about? Well, the Indian guy continued to try to help the the banker hear what he heard. He said, oh, they're so loud. He said, don't you hear them? They're so loud. And the banker's starting to get a little ticked. And he said, I don't hear nothing. I don't hear no kind of crickets. And the Native American guy, he looked around and he looked over there off to the side. And he, there, was a, there was a cricket. He went and he picked the cricket up. And the banker was shocked. And the banker said, I cannot believe that. We're here downtown and me and you are talking and there's all these people and you and I are talking and you can hear a cricket? Like, I have no idea how you did that. And this Native American guy reached in his pocket and he took out some change and he threw the change on the ground and 20 people stopped walking and went over there. And he said, you always hear what you're tuned into. He said, you're a banker. You're tuned into money. When you hear a penny hit the ground, you're going to get it. You're tu I'm tuned into nature, he said. I hear crickets. Y'all, there are a lot of Christians that will miss the still, small, gentle whisper of the Lord because they're not tuned into him. And you got to get yourself tuned into him. We live crazy lives, busy lives that is few and far between when we actually have the space to entertain the gentle whisper of the Lord. That's why we got to intentionally make the time, make the space to be still and to be silent, to make time for contemplation, to make time for prayer, to practice stillness, practice stillness. And it is going to be awkward at first because we don't like to just be still. Last thing I want to tell you is this. There is peace in the promise. Hang your hat on that. There is peace in the promise. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4 of Philippians, and he's, he's encouraging the folks there to rejoice. Chapter 4, verse 4, maybe is the theme verse of, that, uh, of the book. It's rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice always. He tells them, rejoice. And then in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, in everything, right? Not in a few little things. He says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known, made known to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God... God says, dump it on me. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For Paul here, joy squashes anxiety like a bug. Prayer is the tennis shoe that squashes the bug of anxiety. 
that was super weird. <laughs> I just kind of just kind of thought about that. So but but he encourages y'all, he encourages the Philippians to be anxious about nothing, to worry about nothing, and the cure for anxiety and worry and stress in is prayer. Prayer. Worry and anxiety and stress in they stem from focusing on your circumstances. Like imprisonment or persecution which they face, which Paul and the Philippians face. Paul's writing this letter under house arrest. Think he's anxiety ridden? The anxiety's coming at him, but he talks about rejoice. Anxiety and worry accomplish nothing, but prayer does. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns against worry because it demonstrates a lack of trust in the Lord. And the promise here is that through prayer, both asking God for earthly needs and thanking Him for His, for his presence and for His provision and for His promises, and when we do that, peace just shows up. And, and it's not just any peace. Scripture says it's God's peace. And God's peace reflects His very character. It's totally separate from all anxiety and worry and stressing. God's peace is like this squad of Roman soldiers that stand guard protecting you and I from worry and anxiety. It's not some dream in our minds. In fact, the human mind can't even really comprehend God's peace, the wholeness, the, the, the quiet confidence. That peace that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 4, it protects the two organs that birth worry. The organs that birth worry are the heart and the mind. The heart and the mind produce feelings and thoughts. And God's peace protects that. That protection is real. It's genuine. It's authentic. And it is available in Christ Jesus. And it is available only in Christ Jesus. Not in Muhammad. Not in Buddha. Not in some self-help guru. God's peace is in Christ Jesus only. And that promise is for believers. And that promise is not to remove the worry-causing circumstance. Y'all hear that? That promise is not to remove the worry-causing circumstance. Could he remove the worry-causing circumstance? Of course. Of course he could. Does he sometimes remove the worry-causing circumstance? Sure he does. But that's not the promise. The promise is for God's peace in the midst of the nasty. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the, of the worry or the anxiety. That's the promise. So I want to wrap this up. If I want us to take a moment and I want, I want, you, I want to be honest and I want you all to be honest about, about a couple of questions that I want to ask. I want you to consider this. Is, is all your striving and all your hustle and all your appointments and all your activities and all the actions, are they making you more peaceful? Are they making you a more peaceful person? Is the grind of life giving you the kind of grounded faith that you want? Are you sitting maybe in an ash heap of unmet expectations, of broken resolutions, and message notifications that you never in a million years could respond to. Think about that. And as you think about that, I want to read to you one of the most powerful 
and one of the most important passages in the New Testament. It's the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, three verses. Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. It's Jesus talking. Gospel of Matthew. He says, come to me. I could stop right there. How glorious is it that the Savior of the world says, Frank, come to me. The Savior of the world says, Chad, come to me. We could stop right there. I could drop the mic and walk out. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a pill to rest. He says, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly, excuse me, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to talk to you if you're a believer today, if you're a Christian, if you're somebody that said yes to, to his offer of salvation. To you, I say, it takes intentional effort in our culture to carve out some sacred time and some space to, to connect with the Lord. But wow, when you hear the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 11 and you realize that he has space for your burdens, that he has space for your sufferings, he has space for your exhaustion, he's got space for your, for your busyness, and he has space enough for the exhaustion and the burdens for every human that has ever lived or ever will live. That's the promise. He says, come to me and give every bit of that to me. He says, I will give you rest. What an amazing feeling. Well, why the amazing feeling? Because what an amazing Savior. So y'all set a reminder in your phone. This is not rocket science. Set a reminder in your phone. Spend a weekend in the mountains. Turn off the electronic devices at 8 or 9 o'clock at night. What a shocking thought that would be. Do whatever it is that you need to do this week to make space for prayer. To make space for stillness and calmness and quietness with the Lord. It's worth it. He's in the stillness of it. He's in the gentleness of it. Be in tune with Him. And I, I just can't. It's just... It's just in my DNA. I cannot talk about Matthew 11 without saying this. Because I know there's people that are here right now watching or whatever that are not a Christian. That you, you haven't said yes to the offer. That you don't believe. And you may believe a little bit. You may believe in God. I don't know. But you're not a Christian. And that's okay. But I want, you to, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11 are absolutely, totally applicable to you too. The rest that he provides in verse 28 equals eternal life. It brings love and it brings healing and it brings peace with God. The rest he's talking about is not a cessation of work or effort or worship or service. That word rest in the original language had hints of recreating. It had hints of refreshing. It had hints of God's peace. To the Jews that heard that, they kind of equaled it to the the rest that they found in the promised land. Y'all, Jesus is the promised land. So he applies to himself, Jesus does in this passage, he applies the word rest to himself spiritually. He said, I will give you rest. 
I will give you refreshment. Y'all, there is no greater promise ever in the history of the universe that you and I, as sinners, can find rest and peace and recreation and refreshment in the arms of the Savior and then we can talk to Him every day one-on-one with no, no in-between. You ain't got to go into some confessional thing. You ain't got to come talk to me to get to Him. I don't have the hotline. You go get in your quiet place and you can talk with the Creator of the universe. It's an amazing thought. So those who choose to follow Christ, you're going to find refreshment in that relationship with Him. You're going to find freedom from guilt over sin. You're going to find deliverance from fear and from despair. You're going to find freedom from anxiety and worry and stress. And then you're going to find this promise of continued help and guidance and comfort from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come to live inside of you. Can I really explain that? No, I can't. But I know that's what happens. Well, how do we respond to this? I'm telling you this. If you're a believer, up your prayer life game. Up it a little bit. Really and truly put that little reminder in your phone. A time or two a day. I had an electrician at my house on Friday dropping a receptacle for me. And you know what he said? He Somehow we got to talk about prayer. Maybe I was over there working on the message or something. I don't know. He said, you know what? And this is this electrician, he said, he said, 8 a.m., 8 p.m., I get an alarm on my phone that tells me to stop what I'm doing and pray for five minutes. And I'm like, dude, can you come Sunday and give a testimony at church? I mean, what is a simple thing? Take you two seconds to do. Do that. You know, look up. Get your posture right before the Lord. Acknowledge and understand the pecking order, right? When you understand the pecking order, it makes His grace even that much more amazing. You know, in Psalm 8, when he says, Who am I that you would even care for me? That's the right posture. And if you're sitting in here today or listening and, you're, and you, you, you haven't said yes, I'm going to beg you to consider, go read Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30, and consider resting in the arms of the Savior the way that he talks about that there in Matthew. And that formula, if that's you, turn away from the sin, turn towards Him. Acknowledge and believe and trust that His death on that cross truly took care of a penalty that was not His to take, it was yours to take. But He jumped on the cross for you. Remember I said a minute ago, He loves you more than you could ever love Him. And that love displayed itself on a cross 2,000 years ago. I believe that. And then he walked out of the grave three days later. And, he, and, 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 and that just provides that eternal life for me. Y'all pray with me. Lord, that rest that you provide. Lord, my prayer is that there are people hearing this message, listening to the, listen to the worship leading up, the musical worship leading up to it, going to listen to this song we're about to hear and worship to, Lord, that they will say, give me some of that rest. I want that rest. My life is so out of control and so busy and so chaotic. Lord, I want the rest that you offer. 
And if that's you, it is simple. You just confess and you believe. So, Lord, today I do believe that you died on the cross. I do believe that you took a hit for me, took care of my sin, walked out of the grave. Lord, save me right now. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, if that's you, or, or if you just have a prayer need for anything, prayer team is going to be back there in the back. They would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you. Here's, here's the deal, and this my heart and my yearning for our little fellowship is that we would be a praying people. That we would up our game corporately together, crying out and expecting God to do the thing that He does. That we would pray together, that we would walk together that we would love each other together. Today we committed to help parents raise their children in the, in the light of the Lord. That we would bathe all of that in prayer. That we would bathe everything that we ever do in this church. That it would all be bathed in prayer. I hope y'all will kind of join me in that. Let me turn it back over to our worship team.